Welcome to Divorce Etc. hosted by us, the ex-experts. We're here to give you all kinds of information and tips on everything divorce. Plus, we're asking a lot of the questions that you may not even think of or know to ask, but we know because we've lived it, so we get it. We're Jessica and TH. In today's podcast episode, we are so excited to welcome Rabbi Adina Lewides, who we want to start having a series of conversations about with spirituality and obviously the topic of divorce and how it affects not just ourselves and our soon-to-be ex and our children per se, but really it affects members of our extended family, our friends, others in the community. And it's just a really wide-ranging conversation that we feel like is necessary to have. So thank you so much for being here with us today. I'm so happy to be here and thanks for inviting me. Thanks for being here. I'm excited for today's conversation. Every time we speak to um, Rabbi Adina. Every time we speak with Dini, it's just, I, you just don't want to stop because she just, she's just uh, very understanding, empathetic, and it has her own story here. So why don't we start with that? Yeah. Tell us a little bit about your own background and, and, and experience with divorce. So I'm the product of divorced parents. My parents divorced when I was nine. And, um, you know, I spent my childhood and my adulthood, particularly when I myself was getting married, um, continuing to negotiate uh, a time or an event in my life that I often like to say is not something that happens that we you know, respond to or get over and then move on from it. You know, when divorce happens, it's something that our lives accommodate to and revisit and have to negotiate um, over and over again. I myself, am also divorced. I was married for um, about 12 years and had four children um, from that marriage and, you know, came to that juncture in my own life and continued to um, build a life beyond that, but nonetheless, um, understand its presence in various events and decisions um, that continue to unfold. You know, one of the things that we felt was really important and something that we felt was sort of missing from ex-experts was that kind of spiritual guidance, um, which we were so happy to come to you for. Um, and the idea that, I think one of our initial conversations, I was talking about how upset, not angry, upset, but like upset, sad, disappointed. My parents were when they found out that I was getting divorced, not just the first time, but the second time as well. And how my parents are still together. And that just became almost a bigger burden for my mother to carry than it was for me. And, you know, we were talking about how that must be how a lot of people are feeling. That's, I know how this conversation, this topic came about for today. Um, talk to us a little bit about that with whether it's your own experience as a real life expert or just in guidance that you're giving to members of your community that are coming to you and like not knowing how to help and support those around them when they're the ones that are actually going through it all. Yeah, it's, it's, you know, rarely, have I encountered conversations that actually get into these kinds of emotional, familial, and even community weeds when it comes to divorce? We think of divorce as something that's so private that happens between two people. It's their life. We love them. We try to support them, or we who are going through it, you know, want to benefit from the relationships that we have. But we all tend to think of it as 
happening in the very, very intimate spaces of a particular relationship. But the reality is, as you say, the implications, the, um, the changes that a divorce brings on are changes that are felt that are rippling through many, many different layers of relationship. And I think particularly for people who identify as spiritual or who may be connected to a religious community, we carry within us um, an oftentimes um, challenging um, uh, task to balance our own needs, our own desires, our own sense of self with that of an entity greater than ourselves, whether that's an entity that's defined by certain beliefs in God or an entity that's defined by a connection to a certain history, to a certain people, to a certain set of values and ritual expressions. We're constantly trying to calibrate where do I begin and end and where do all the other people in my life begin and end and what does that mean for who I am in this world? Uh, in the eyes of them and in the eyes of 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 you know, that which is greater than me with which I seek to be in relationship. So, you know, yeah, for many, as you say, our relationship to our parents, the disappointment that they may feel in us, maybe because as you say, they have a beautiful marriage and may feel how, how did I not impart those skills or, or even, and this is a, a scary, a scary word. How did I not teach my child to be able to commit Right. As if as if there's a, a failure there of, of some kind of lesson that a parent tried so hard to impart to their child. Um, or what if the parent themselves is a product of divorce, as, as my mother is and her heartbreak when when she learned that I was getting divorced, wishing for anything but what she had to face right. um, to be something that I had to face. I for me personally, I I don't. My parents, I think, really did set a wonderful example. I mean, my goal relationship-wise, even from here on out for the second half of my life, would be to find something as beautiful and fulfilling as they have. But I think that my parents found it very hard to... And by the way, my older sister is divorced and was divorced before me. So it's not like my parents had no experience with a child being divorced, but for whatever reason, and I don't know what their experience with my sister was and how they felt. I'm sure they were broken as well. But I remember for me, and maybe it was because of the of the infidelity and the affair the first time around, but like they were so sad for me. And my mother just kept saying to me, like, I can't believe that you know this happened to you. And I can't believe that you're going through this and you have two two little kids and a full-time job and you have so much on your plate and I'm, I wish I could be there with you. And I'm like, I don't have room to carry you right now while I'm trying to get through what I'm getting through and I'm getting through it. Okay. Until the times I talk to you and you're like making me into this victim. Like there are worse things in the world than getting divorced. Kids are dying in countries of starvation. Like I can get divorced but I, I couldn't, it was like the weight of their sadness was almost more than I could bear. Well, do you think their sadness was because you think that they think that they failed you? No, I don't. Because they just didn't want you to feel sad. I think because they didn't want me to feel sad. And I think that because they were, I t- in their minds, they don't know people who have affairs 
that wasn't happening in their circles. And I think they, they were just sort of in disbelief that that had happened to me. And I was so young and they feel like, oh, she has so much to offer. You know, she's such a great kid. Like, why would this happen to her? That's what I think that they were really struggling with. I don't think that they were struggling with, they didn't teach me the moral lessons of commitment or set a good example for me. It was like, they were so sad that I was like, I don't have room for your sadness. I, I feel like, look, we, the three of us try to be the best examples of women, um, friends, mothers, right? We lead by example and we all make mistakes. And I, isn't it just kind of the stigma of divorce that's making it heavier on everyone, our parents, on us? And the truth is, we, when we are the best version of ourselves, this is how I feel now after 13 years later, but I know that once we are the best version of ourselves, then we are the best example for right. other people. But we have to, I mean, maybe not go through everything, but some of it to be the best version of ourselves. And, and it's just totally a different generation. I mean, we know so many people who also stay in their marriages because you don't get a divorce. It's right. not really about you. No one really cares about your happiness in some circles. It's more about what's right to do and what's wrong to do. And then people, and then like Dini said, you know, like about it being a failure, it's not a failure, but in some communities, and I'm sure Dini can shed more light on this, it is totally seen as a failure. Particularly, I think another way. Religious wise, I'd love to talk, like explore that a little bit, because I think that there are people who uh, one faith or another are like, I'm not getting divorced. That I'm, I, it, that's going to be a dark spot on me in the eyes of God. And that's just not okay with the fundamental faith that I grew up in. You know, you've raised, both of you have raised so many important pieces. Um, Teach, I just want to circle back to one of the things you said about how important it is for us to be grounded in our own lives and our own happiness and in our own truths before we're able to facilitate as a mother, um, even as a, as a child um, or as a friend, the, um, the search for that happiness, that groundedness, that authenticity and integrity in another human being. Right. As the old adage says, you know, if, you, if you're not um, if, you can, if you don't love yourself, you'll never be able to love anybody else. Right. It sounds trite, but it's so, so true. So true. When it comes to divorce, without getting into fault and and, uh, you know, at the end of the day, there's still the wrestling that we each have to do before we can get to that place, acknowledge that place and claim that place of wholeness again for ourselves. I think most of us feel we need to do business with the disappointments that we may have caused to our parents, to our children, but also to ourselves, right? 100%, don't forget about yourself in all of this. We can't, but, but from the forgiveness perspective too, from the, you know, no matter how a divorce comes to be, I mean, the, the responsibility for um, sort of being a source of pain mm -hmm. to others, whether it's directly to the partner or to those who are implicated by the divorce, you know, that's a process we all have to go through also. And that, that sense of doing business with ourselves, with our own 
changes with our own sometimes limitations, um, that brings us back to the spiritual piece as well. You know, it's interesting. I think you're right that many religious traditions have very definitive attitudes towards divorce, and many of them are quite, uh, quite negative. It's interesting in my own tradition, in the Jewish tradition, one of the first references to marriage in the Bible is actually a reference to when a marriage is no longer workable and how it is that partners should actually take their leave from one another. Now, of course, it, it, it talks about it in a fairly patriarchal context, but my point is that the recognition that marriage, and of, and of course, back then marriage wasn't what we know marriage to be now, it was more often a relationship, often transactional about property and family and tribe, whereas today we talk about love and romance, right? But nonetheless, what we have there is at least the recognition that not every relationship, which may have been launched with the greatest of integrity, intention, dreams, and goals, comes to fruition or is able to endure over the long course of a lifetime. And that sometimes that bond needs to be dissolved. And I think having that recognition baked into a religious tradition that might nonetheless continue to place upon you many, many obligations about what it means to be a mother or a wife, the head of a family, the, the, the manager of a home. Um, nonetheless, that recognition goes a long way in its um, sort of humaneness. Having said that, also in my, own, in my own tradition, in the Jewish tradition, there is a very, very emotionally um, poignant teaching, which says that when two people divorce, that God's altar sheds tears, mm. that there's a mourning that is expressed, even in whether, whether you think of it as heaven or, or in the precincts of the divine, whatever any of us might think about when we say the word God or, or the divine. I've struggled with that a lot, because how could it be that the reality of my marriage no longer being the relationship that was the right relationship for me, for my husband, even for our family. How could that, how could I live with that thinking that I've caused pain to that which is even greater than us, right? Or to God. But I, I've come to, to um, after a lot of wrestling with that image and with those teachings, I have to believe that the tears that are described in that teaching are no more pure or unidimensional is really what I mean by pure than our own tears, right? The tears that we've shed for the loss of our dreams, for the loss right. of those relationships, for the loss of what, what was not gonna come to be that we imagined would come to be. Tears for having been hurt, having caused hurt, tears of worry for the future. But also I, I have to believe that on some level, those are also tears that are shed in pride for the courage yes. human beings have to be agents of their own happiness and agents of their own well-being, hard as that path may be right. to forge. Tears of, of, of maybe reluctance, but nonetheless pride in the ability for human beings to recognize that life is full of change and that no matter what that change looks like, we do have the capacity to embrace it with integrity if we if we try to i love that i um I, I remember like yesterday 
feeling for so many years, like at least the last four years of my marriage, how incredibly miserable I was. But the thought of getting a divorce and putting that on my children was the ultimate fear for me. I just wanted out, but it's not just me. You know, I mean, a lot of people talk about, especially the kids we've spoken with recently, um, you know, so if a parent gets divorced, then they move on with their lives, they get a job, they get a new hairdo, they get a whatever, they're traveling, moving and grooving, whatever. What about the kids? Right. So my, all of my emotion and fear went into, what about my kids? And I was nowhere to be found. And it really, it, it was like, honestly, it was the universe that got me out of my marriage because I was still struggling, even though people were actually telling me, like giving me the tools in hand. I couldn't, I couldn't take it. I needed somebody else to open that door and it, they did. And I ran for the border, but I was always worried about my kids. And, and the message that I really want to send out just from my own experience is that a little bit what I said before and what Dini and Jessica are saying, like the best version of yourself makes you the best parent, right. and the best friend and the best woman and the best you that you can be. And I stayed in that marriage because I was, a, the fear of the unknown was, was paralyzing. But then once I had the opportunity to go, I know that today, this is who I want my kids to emulate. This is who I want my kids to, um, you know, learn from this version of me, definitely not that version of me. I don't even know who that woman was. So that that's, it, it is, it is brave. It's really scary, but for me, it was, it was a blessing. It was a blessing. I think for most people and the, what the message overall that we're trying to impart through X experts is that all of the things you guys are both saying, like it is scary, it's dark and it's overwhelming and it's lonely and there's a lot of fear, but that it, it takes a lot of bravery. It takes a lot of courage and, and you will be happier on the other side if you can, if you can make it through. And we want to be able to help set examples of like, we're just like everybody else. The three of us, we're just like everybody else. Well, Dini maybe more because she's a rabbi, but we're just like everybody else, but like we had these experiences and, and to be able to share our own experiences and have someone say, well, if she can do it, I can do it too, right? That's a huge part of the messaging. But I do want to go back for a second with the kids, because yeah. I remember a really poignant part of the conversation, Dini, that we had had with you prior to today was that the idea that your, not, not your kids, but our children in general grow up in these households with these married parents who behind closed doors are fucking miserable and then try to stay together for the kids. And then years later, when the kids are told that their parents are getting divorced, now their version of what they thought was true and real becomes questioned that's definitely something that a lot of people and their children must be struggling with. So can you talk to us a little bit about how to handle that kind of a situation? 
Yeah, I'd love to tell you um, a story that actually does come from my relationship with my kids that illuminated for me so many of the deeper levels on which our kids are experiencing um, the reality of divorce and the issues that it, that it might raise for them. Um, and, and if we take the time to think about this, we might be able to move a little bit beyond the guilt that's either self-imposed or sometimes, as we've been saying, imposed on us by others, and instead look at these life moments and ask ourselves, what can I teach? As you say, TH, right? What can I teach my kids in this moment? How does this moment and this experience add to the things, the values, the ideas, and really the toolbox that I want to impart to my kids so that they too will be able to face change when life brings them change and to do so with a sense of groundedness, authenticity, as we've been talking about, and integrity. So my story has a little bit of a different twist to it because um, after I separated from my husband, um, I came out and uh, I'm now married to um, my wife with whom I've been for uh, almost 20 years. Um, and that added another dimension to the experience of my children. But I want to tell you this story, you know, um, my kids, and I have four children and um, my kids were always throwing, they're now, you know, adults, um, but they were always, when they were young, throwing these wild and crazy questions at me, you know, um, is God Jewish? Um, what color is gravity? And there have been so many different kinds of questions that I've had to respond to. Sometimes I'm really surprised by what I managed to say. And other times I'm like completely dumbfounded and um, I'm like wondering along with them, what color is gravity? Does gravity have a color? Anyway, um, we would always have these raucous family dinners, oftentimes at our Shabbat table, but really anytime where we, you, you know, you know, we're very clear. My wife and I were very clear with the kids that there's nothing you can't talk to us about. There are no questions you can't ask us. There's nothing we're not prepared to talk to you about, honestly. And, um, you know, and hopefully productively. So one night we're sitting at uh, the table and of course we had guests there. And my, my oldest said to me, mom, do you identify as lesbian or bisexual? And everybody kind of stopped. And on the one hand I froze, but on the other hand, I've been waiting for him to ask me this because my kids were really little when my husband and I separated. And, um, you know, she also had two kids, two girls. I had three boys and a girl. I have three boys and a girl. So like instantly we were the modern Brady Bunch family without Mike and without the bell bottoms. Um, but we knew that in the most important identity that we were going to wear and live for our kids as same-sex partners was going to be the most stabilizing role that we continue to play, of course, as mothers. And I thought about my son's question and I thought he might be asking, well, like, what does it mean to have a parent who was once straight and who's now gay? Can people really change like that as adults? What does it mean for an adult to be one person who I thought they were? And then all of a sudden they're another person. Right. And I started to think about how and when to talk to kids about, about gender and about sexuality. But then I started to hear his question from the perspective of a child of divorced parents. Right? And I started to understand that what he might be asking me is, what does it mean to have parents who are divided from each other now? What does it mean to have parents who are so different from each other now that maybe when they were together, they weren't even 
solidly together. Does that mean that I wasn't conceived from love? Right. Did you ever really love dad? Right. Did you ever really love dad? And as a child of divorce, I remember looking at other people's parents who were affectionate with each other and being so envious. The only bond I saw from my parents was, you know, one filled with conflict and hostility. So my kids may be, you know, he may have been asking exactly that, Jessica, right? Behind the question of whether I'm lesbian bisexual might be, who was I when I brought him into being? Was I fully devoted to dad or was I pretending to be somebody that I wasn't? And I realized that the way I engage with these questions as a parent for my kids might actually shape the contour of their own emotional lives, their own social lives, their own relationship values, their own sexual lives. So I had to really think carefully about how to answer. And when I brought it up with them again and I answered, I, I explained to him that, um, you know, in my own, in my own life, um, you know, struggling to understand who I was, what I wanted from relationships throughout my childhood. I had lots of boyfriends throughout high school, college. Um, I genuinely cared about the people that I went out with. And when I met dad, I genuinely loved him and I could see building a life with him and creating a family. And that's what we set out to do. But, you know, 12 years later and four awesome kids later, we began to be different people and want different things. And we realized that we were no longer the right life partners for each other. It was heartbreaking. And then I said to him that now while I'm married to a woman, I'm in a relationship that's really well suited to me. It doesn't mean that when I was married to dad and that we were creating our family that I was pretending to be somebody that I wasn't. I wanted to be there in in that time as I want to be here where I am now. But you were born of love and you will always be as you always have been loved by me and by dad. And there it was. That is so poignant because despite the sexual identity part of that story, the truth is that question could be any kid of asking any parent. It doesn't matter that I was straight and am straight. My kids could also still wonder what was going on during that time. H's kids could be thinking the same thing. So anyone out there listening, like this is definitely something to maybe talk to your children about because they very likely are having those exact kinds of questions. What was really happening behind the scenes when you guys were together and how long was it good and how long were you pretending? It's the question behind the question. It's it's trying to understand what what our children are taking away from this moment Mm -hmm. and being able and willing to talk with them about that, to provide them the assurances that they need, to help them distinguish between what love in this world is conditional and what love in this world is unconditional. To reassure them that you know the difference and that they will be the beneficiaries of that difference, that unconditional love between Mm -hmm. a parent and a child. No, I will never divorce you. Right. When I um, I went with my ex-husband to someone to kind of like figure out how to communicate with the kids and so on and so forth, She said the way to explain it to the kids was, um, you know, you're a part of me. You're a part of my, literally a part of my body, which blows my mind anyway. I still can't believe like we give birth to humans, but anyway, um, that you can't, that, that you can't break that. You just can't break that. But 
your dad and I were two individuals who met and fell in love and, you know, started a family and all of that stuff, but he's not a part of me like that. Like your dad and I are a part of you physically, biologically, everything. You're born from us. So that kind of love just, it, it just can't, it just can't be broken. So we did, to, I don't know if they really believed it, but we did, we did go with that. And so far, so good. Um, I want to say one other quick story though. Um, Cause you're talking about bringing somebody else into the picture, you know, into your kids' lives. And so my ex was with another woman who he had been with for, for quite some time. And my son came home from his dad's to my house and said, um, I want to call her mom. This is like right before bed. Okay. So everybody just listen to that, right? Your kid wants to call another woman, mom, other than you. So I don't know how I did it, but I, I did take a deep breath and I said, I'm, I'm your only mom. I birthed you. You've got one mom. We can think of a lot of other great names for her, but mom belongs to me. And, and it's like a hard guy and you, you're never predicting these kinds of questions, just like the kinds that Dini's bringing up, you know, was I born from love? Like, holy shit, we're all just trying to keep it together. And now you got to throw this at me. Like, seriously, is this not good enough? But, but just, I would say to anybody, like if your kids come to you with questions, just like take a deep breath. And if you're not ready to answer it, say, you know what? I promise we'll talk about this. I'm not ready to talk about it. At this moment, I want to think about how I want to answer your question so that I'm really listening to you and you feel heard. Because right before bed, at the end of the day, he was four. I was like, what? Oh, and I was working full time. You know, everybody just wants the kid to go to sleep. Right. But it, it just, uh, so just, you know, take your time in answering questions and, and be honest. Like Dini said, like, you know, guys, I'm so tired. I don't want to give you an, the wrong answer or an answer. Just, you know, let's talk about it in the morning. That's, that's really wise. That's really wise. I want to, I want to push one step further on that, on that story, TH, because I, I mean, my, my heart just like when you, when you po when you, you know, shared that question, that's, that's really tough. But I wanted to say that as much as as much as um, what we're all getting at are the different ways of saying that authenticity and one's personal truth evolve over the course of our lives, right? Which is not to say that any of us are hypocrites, shallow, superficial, life changes, we change. The authenticity we seek shouldn't be confused with consistency right? Consistency is not the measure of authenticity. Will you say that one more time? I think what I said was um, that, that in, our, in our search for our own truths and for our own integrity and authenticity, um, we have to understand that those evolve over the course of our lifetimes, the way life itself is constantly evolving, and that the definition of authenticity is not consistency. I can still be who I am in my heart and my soul 
and love you if the contours of my life might evolve and shift and change. And I, and I was trying to teach that. I was trying to put that tool in my kid's toolbox when I also, like you, took a, took a beat and, and breathed and thought for a day before coming back to that question. But here's the other piece that I have had to learn um, you know, over the last 20 years, and that has been one of the hardest for me personally. As much as I want my children to trust in my love and presence in their lives within my ongoing evolution as a human being, I need to trust theirs too. And so as I watched my children develop very close and loving relationships with their stepmother, as I felt those pangs and had to wrestle through them and sometimes, you know, came up with all the wrong answers and sometimes behaved, you know, in a really shitty way that I shouldn't have. And I own that. I had to learn to trust them too. Right. That as much as my love for them is unconditional as I've tried to teach them, I had to learn to trust that their love for me as their one and only mom is equally unconditional. That's yeah, a hard lesson. Yeah, but it's a great lesson for everyone to hear yeah. because we all deal with that to a certain extent, regardless of the circumstances, whether the new stepmother is someone who's already a part of our kids' lives as in our situations, or if someone who a stepmother is introduced a few years later and then they and they develop a special bond with them. So it, it's definitely something that you know, the majority of divorced people have to contend with because our lives do move on and we meet new partners and we bring them into our kids' lives. I, I know we're running a little long, but I feel like there's part of the, the conversation that we have to at least touch on and we can pick up in a future conversation. But for people who, regardless of their religion, really feel uh, bound in this cage of being forced to stay married and divorce is not an option for religious region, reasons one way or another, and, and who would come to you for guidance. I mean, how can you help someone reconcile that... They have this faith that they've been raised with and is ingrained in them and is so deep in them. And yet they want to like defy this one major portion of it with something so important. And how do they kind of make peace with that? Such a huge question. I Jessica. know, I know. <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's a, it's incredibly important because what you're, what you're pointing out is that there are so many different factors that go into our decision-making, so many pushes and pulls that strain our hearts and our souls. And of course, I, you know, I can't, I can't speak for, you know, another religious tradition, I, but I, I can say this, and I say this as someone who's a, who's a, a huge believer in religious pluralism, in theological humility, who has, staked my own faith system and my professional career on, um, on, on the importance of recognizing the interconnectedness of all faiths and of the human family in, you know, in spite of the different narratives in which we live our lives. Um, it's really helpful for me to distinguish between religion and spirituality. Um, I think spirituality is a, it's a tough word, but it's, it's, it's often used as the catch-all word that tries to describe the sense of connectedness that we either seek or feel we have with, whether it's 
God, the source of life, the indivisible oneness that unites us all, the, the, the sense of connectedness to that which is greater than us, to the, to the essential holiness or meaning or purpose in life. Religion to me is the humanly constructed infrastructure of rituals and traditions and stories and holidays within which we try to live that relationship and within which we try to build relationships with others who are living their spiritual identities within that cultural construct, religious construct. Sometimes those constructs can be really limiting. Look, I grew up in the Orthodox community in Montreal. There was no way at that time that I could achieve my aspirations of becoming a religious leader in an Orthodox community, which did not accord women opportunities for equality or leadership. I had to leave home in order to come home to myself. And that was extraordinarily painful. I don't wish that journey on anyone, but I would try to divorce in a positive sense. A human being's understanding of their relationship to the divine from the communal norms and standards that that in any setting gives shape to that relationship. And sometimes we have to face the very painful choice of seeking a community that better embraces and honors the fullness of who I am and understands that if I need to disassemble some of the structures that I thought would give my life shape and meaning for the long haul in order to reassemble ones that will allow me to live more fully in relationship to the people and the beliefs that I feel are so sacred, that that is not an act of betrayal. If anything, that should be seen as an act of profound loyalty, painful, but loyal. Sometimes there are ways to push against the boundaries that a community has set. Sometimes that agitating has actually caused communities to reconsider the boundaries within which they can contain people's lives and their narratives. I have found in many circumstances that when you put a personal face on an issue, when you're able to take a human story and illuminate a particular struggle that is responded to in one way by a legal code, it changes everything. Yes. And I, I, I would just say that I think that our religious traditions and many, many, many of our religious leaders are far more capable of living within the gray of human life, of having the courage and the creativity to embrace life's fluidity as opposed to life's binary choices of either you're good or you're bad, you're, you're in or you're out, than we often give them credit for. And I would, I take no more pride than when I'm able to help a person stay connected to, sustained by, the values and the beliefs and the traditions that have animated them and to show them how they can stay accompanied, rooted, and loved through it all. That was beautiful. And I think a perfect place to pause because we definitely have to pick up this conversation. And I think that aspect of it is definitely something to revisit. There are obviously a lot of different faiths out there and a lot of people struggling with whether or not they can and should or should have gotten divorced based on the religion and the faith that they are a part of. And I think that there's something really comforting in, in the words that you just spoke. And, um, I hope that, I hope that other people felt the same thing. Um, yeah. 
Thank you so much for today. Thank you. The first of many with Rabbi Adina Lewittes. We really appreciate your time. And, um, you know, you, everyone out there, there will be an ex-experts page on our website with all of Dini's information um, and the congregation she's affiliated with and her words of wisdom. So feel free to visit that and you will be hearing more from her again very soon. Thanks, Dini. Thank you Thank so you. much, Dini. It was Thank just you, TH. Thank you, Jessica. I feel like so uplifted and so um, validated, I guess, are the two words that I feel right now. So thank you for that. Thank you. Hope to see you again soon. Stay well. Stay loving. Thanks so much for listening to Divorce Etc. with the ex-experts. We really hope this episode was helpful for you in getting information you need and feeling empowered to get through it. And always remember there are so many of us just like you. Now please hit the subscribe button so you always get new episodes and please rate and review us. You can also check out our website filled with free resources at xexperts.com. Follow us on social on Instagram and Facebook and send us an email to let us know your thoughts or any questions or topics you'd like us to talk about. See you next time.